Welcome to Women Read Scripture. I'm Mariana Richardson. And I'm Christine Thackeray. And I'm Annette Marie Lantos Tilleman Dick. Today we're going to be talking about the Epistle of James. And I do have kind of a, a funny story to start our discussion about it. Um, a few years ago, I had the opportunity to go to China to a Christian conference in China. And so it was really interesting. As I went there, I was presenting a paper, and I had a whole bunch of different people. They were all Christians. They weren't in any specific dogma, but they believed in the New Testament with such fervent faith. And so one young that's man... in China. I'm just going to say, it, that's a lot. It is. It is. It is. To have people gathered together. Well, and the interesting thing was they were doing research to show the government that being a Christian was actually a, becoming a good citizen. Yeah. So that was kind of some of the research that they were doing. So the government was happy to show, you know, have them show that being a Christian would help them be a better citizen. So this one young man that was kind of my interpreter, he had beautiful English. And as usual, I would not be able to pronounce their their name, their given name. So they would take a, a Christian name that would be, you know, something different. So he had picked the name James. And so we were waiting in line. They also, along with the conference, usually in a conference, you also have some fun little excursions. Mm -hmm. So one of the excursions was going to the canal where a James Bond movie had been, oh, you know, yeah. filmed in this canal. And so I, I made, I was just being silly, and I just turned to him and I said, oh, James, is the reason why you picked the name James because of James Bond, <laughs> you know, as we're standing there? And he looked at me offended, Mortified. offended, Mortified. and he said, Mariana, I picked the name James because he was the brother of Christ. Oh, sweet. And so I felt about this big, but I will always remember his testimony of James so as the brother of Christ. I'm so glad that's the way the story ends. Instead yes, of it's him much telling better. you when you got there, and the reason I picked the name James is because I wanted to be named after James Bond. Oh, <laughs> that's a better So uh, wonderful James is the son of Joseph and Mary and a half-brother to the Savior. And it's interesting, we do have a couple of little notes about James in the New Testament previously. And the first one is we, we probably think that he might have gained a testimony over time. Mm -hmm. In John 7, the comment is made that neither did his brethren believe in him, specifically talking about his brothers. And so we're not sure if James was a part of those brothers that didn't believe in him at first, but we know that he believed in him after. A matter of fact, um, James did. We do know in, in 1 Corinthians that after the Savior was resurrected, James had a personal visit from the resurrected Lord that is documented in 1 Corinthians. The other thing, too, is that he played a major peacemaker role. We already kind of talked about this in Acts when we had the first um, Jerusalem conference and there was all that contention about circumcision. And James was the one that came in and, and helped them compromise, helped them to understand what to do. And so I love thinking about James as a peacemaker. And we're going to see more as we talk about some of the principles that he talks about. Obviously, this is his nature, that he obviously is just one of those peacemakers that just loves mm -hmm. people. And he's going to talk a lot about how to be kind with our words. And I just think that must be ingrained in his soul in terms of who James right. was. It, it brings tears to my eyes, really, as I think about you and Christine here together, sisters who both have this deep commitment to the gospel and to the Lord. And knowing, because Christine is so sweet and honest, that, <laughs> no, it, it's so helpful that for years, you know, she was a younger sister. You're sort of a middle girl, right? Yes, here. I'm stuck Big in family the of 12 children. <laughs> And that she kicked against the pricks a lot, you know, and she was, she wanted, she didn't want to have to just follow everything. And, you know, the, it makes, the older I get, the more these stories make sense. Before I was like, what do you mean James didn't believe in Jesus when he was there? He wrote a, there's a whole book, but what's mm -hmm. that about? Now, you know that I'm 10 in dog years. Um, 
now, I think it makes so much sense right. that when he was there, it's like, you, no, you know, you're wonderful. I love you. You're not the son of God. You know <laughs> what I mean? A, a brother saying this or believing this. And then having these experiences that totally transform. And you see by the quality of this one document that he leaves us, because Paul writes a lot and Luke writes a lot. James leaves us one relatively short book. He doesn't write a lot. But in that book is a bringing together of such important elements that you kind of understand the kind of mother Mary must have been. Oh, definitely. To have these two definitely. Sons. You know, what a kind and loving Which woman. Which is funny because I was thinking maybe from Joseph he inherited that kindness. Mm-hmm. Oh, both, maybe too. Both. Also, you I mean, see Joseph such kindness from kindness Joseph. And, but also understanding. You know, he was so deeply versed in truth and in the God's way. Mm-hmm. Well, and not only that, but also realize he was the first bishop of the church in Jerusalem. That's right. And so as that, I mean, that that was a very important calling. A because hard calling. A hard <laughs> calling. You're, you're dealing with a lot of factions. You're right. dealing with a lot of uh, different thoughts and feelings, you know, for and against what was, right. you know, being And persecution about. and oppression. And huge persecution. And so he was, I, I think we're going to see as we continue to talk about James and his words, I want you to think about James the man, too, in terms of, like you were just saying, Annette, the amazing experiences that he had with the Savior, probably more personal than other leaders of the early Christian church. But the fact that he, because of those experiences, gained such a fervent and amazing testimony of the Savior, as the Savior, as the Son of God, because he says it very strongly in these words. The other thing that I wanted to say, and we kind of talked about this before we even started, was the fact that this is very similar to Proverbs. And many times when people are reading this, they said, oh, this just feels like Proverbs. And Ecclesiastes. It, it, exactly. It is wisdom literature that is very Jewish yes. and also is specifically written for the Jews in Jerusalem. So they would have been very familiar with this kind of writing. So I know, Annette, you feel very strongly about wisdom literature. Was there something you wanted to say about that, too? Oh, only that it, it was interesting to me because, you know, some things I've studied in depth and, and um, meaning the history and all the critical things. And James, I have read it, and I had not spent that time studying it um, critically in depth before. And as I was reading it this time, I'd never noticed that. But this time, and as I was reading it, I thought, wow, it's so like Proverbs, so like Ecclesiastes, each each couplet can be yes. taken out of context and is of such enormous value. And of course, in our faith tradition, which we are members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, the prophet, the first prophet in this dispensation, Joseph Smith, was shaken to the core by reading Exactly. James. Matter of fact, and one couplet in James. And that's one couplet. It's <laughs> not that he read all of James and he came out. No, he read one couplet and it changed his life and <laughs> lives of many people to follow. Let's read that because I'm, you know, I 100% I agree with you. And because of that, realize as we look at some of these couplets, which we are going to dissect and really, you know, delve in, um, think about the wisdom the eternal wisdom he he had from the Savior because of that relationship, too. So I, I do feel that maybe the eternal perspective, that the fact that James wrote this scripture that actually brought on the restoration, that maybe That's it so was not, you know, this this was not a coincidence. I had not had that thought. But instead, Mary. there was I'm a Mary. reason. Mary. There was a reason why. And so let's read James 1, 5. Um, I'm going to read 5 through 8 because I think sometimes, you know, we, we don't continue the thought. And the, the continued thought is really powerful. So it, the whole thought is 5 to 8. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God that giveth to all men liberally and upbraideth not, and it shall be given him. But let him ask in faith, nothing wavering. For he that wavereth is like a wave of the sea driven with the wind and tossed. 
For let not that man think that he shall receive anything of the Lord. A double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. Now, this also kind of shows the way James is going to continue to write in that he uses symbols over and over again. And I love this symbol that he uses, first of all, of ask in faith, nothing wavering. And then he brings that to the waves of the sea. I mean, it's so beautiful. But I'm so confused. So seven says, for let not that man think that he shall receive anything of the Lord. I thought we're supposed to expect that we're... Well, no, the the wavering man. Oh, the wavering man man doesn't expect to receive. Exactly. I'm so glad that you said that, though, Christine, because this is the thing. This is the thing about prayer, anybody who's Mm -hmm. listening to us. Because one thing we do have experiences when prayer works. And I I will say that in my life, I have a lot of experience of prayer working. Prayer doesn't always work, and it doesn't work when we have our own ideas about what we want (laughs) to hear. Or when we go in knowing that we're praying about, and we'd like you to arrange it this way. Right. You know, because that is being double-minded, because the only way it works when we pray is when we ask of God. We can say, I'm confused. I don't get it. This is what I don't get. Joseph And give said, me the answer. Yeah. Let's turn to what Joseph Smith said after he yeah. read this, because it goes right along with what you're saying. Yeah. And and it also goes around with your your point your too. Question. Your question. So important. So, so important. Let's let's read because you're right. Joseph Smith had a question. And so it wasn't, I, I, you know, this wavering isn't the fact that we have a question, because that's the reason why we're going to prayer. Or that we don't know. Or that we don't we're, know the answer. We're confused, you know. Because he's yeah. he's doing it. But it's when we're confused yeah. and don't go to the Lord, and we also don't have real intent. And real intent means that I'm going with the intention of whatever answer the Lord gives to me, I will do. No matter what. No matter That's what the answer is. Me going to women's conference that time. You yes, know? I mean, that was did it. I mean, it was a very small thing, but it was, he said it. I know how he answers me. I've just got to do it. And do it. So Joseph Smith said, never did a passage of scripture come with more power to the heart of man than this did at this time to mine. It seemed to enter with great force into every feeling of my heart. I reflected on it again and again knowing that if any person needed wisdom from God, I did. For how to act, I did not know. And unless I could get more wisdom than I then had, I would never know. For the teachers of religion of the different sects understood the same passages of Scripture so differently as to destroy all confidence in settling the question by an appeal to the Bible. Now, I love this verse because it shows young Joseph Smith as being unwavering in terms of his willingness to basically take this to the Lord and whatever the Lord says to him, I'm willing to do. So real intent. But then he talks about those teachers of religion, how they of different sects understood the same passage so differently that they destroyed all confidence. They are the example of the wavering, of the double man. But he had gone to multiple... Yeah. different faiths and his family had joined different faiths and his goal was to find out which church to was join true. right so his intent right. was to join a church and it's interesting cuz the lord said join none of them but it's also interesting and this kind of dented my testimony a little when i found out that it was one of those preachers who told him to read this but- scripture and then go pray about it but that's perfect no it is perfect it's perfect You're right because you know what they were seeking to worship the lord too. right this right. knowledge was not right. available absolutely it shows the sincerity of that preacher and absolutely and that the lord worked absolutely him. but i'm saying it was surprising to me because i thought he was just randomly reading the scriptures and came across it but he was pointed to it i like it so much but more <laughs> i know but we do have people put in our lives who will lead, lead us, us places to. i agree but then when it's interesting to me is that with the first vision, he was led there by that preacher. Yes. But then he went three and a half years just kind of living. And he talks about the foibles yeah, and he's right. not supposed to join a church, but he doesn't know what church to join. And and we talked Before about Moroni that comes. real intent, right. not being wavering. But when Moroni comes, I mean, no, um, 
this is the interesting thing. So it's the the next page on 29. Right. When he says he was worried about his imperfections and that the Lord wasn't happy with what he was accomplishing. Right. And so it says the evening of the above mentioned, the 21st of September, I betook myself to prayer and supplication to the Almighty God for forgiveness of all my sins and follies, and also for the manifestation to me that I might know of my state and standing, for I had full confidence exactly. in obtaining a divine manifestation. And so that real intent came again, but it took him three and a half years to kind of build that real mm-hmm. intent. Mm-hmm. So I do think sometimes, although we pray every day, for those big moments, it's like we have to build up to them where we're ready for the answer and and prepare our hearts Sometimes for that. For a whole lifetime. Yeah. Sometimes beyond. I think that that is a very important. I hope it's message. not a whole lifetime. I hope we do steps closer <laughs> we than we that. Wish. <laughs> you know, we wish, and and it doesn't mean that our lives can't be full of joy and meaning along right. the way. They are, but. There are things, I today, um, I was listening to something and I, I just want to put a little advertisement in for the manuals of our church, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, and the manual, the, all of the apps you can get for anybody, anybody can download them for free, the LDS library app. Um, the insight available is unbelievable. And one of the last things that I heard as I was listening, and I was listening driving, so I can't tell you exactly what it was, that one of our leaders has said one of the biggest problems is when we think we know mm-hmm. anything. When we think we know anything, we can cherish our testimony and have great confidence in our testimony of the, of the restoration of the gospel, of the, of the messiahship of Jesus Christ. But he said, if we think we know, we seek to, we stop learning. We stop looking for greater knowledge. And he said, we all need greater knowledge. And so I, I think that that is, it's wonderful to see that Joseph, it took him years to get to the point where that initial experience began to bear unexpected fruit. Right. But I think in our lives too, it's so important. You know? I do want to also go back to that first vision experience to, to also say, you know, this was his object. He said, my object in going to inquire of the Lord was to know which of all the sects was right, that I might know which to join. Just going with what you right. said. And then no sooner, therefore, did I get possession of myself so as to be able to speak, than I asked the personages who stood above me in the light which of all the sects was right. For at this time, it had never entered into my heart that all were wrong and which I should join. And then the interesting thing that happens is this idea of he has, you know, he's told that, uh, and I was answered that I must join none of them. But then he also tells them that the professors were all corrupt, that they draw near to me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. So I think sometimes we are also given from the Lord difficult answers that take us time to be able to really digest digest. and understand. And to figure out, because he was in such a place that was so different than where he needed to be for that next step. Exactly. He probably had to extricate himself from those relationships. And we know that when he told them that they all said he was evil and of the devil and he had to find a new network and a new social, that makes so much sense that sometimes it takes us a while. And yet the Lord gave him that answer. But he doesn't give him a direction. He just kind of says, don't join any of them and then lets him go. And it's like, what? Well, well, but I have to figure out where I'm going. But he does (laughs) tell them where not to look. That's true. He does tell them where not to look. And he has to do it on his own because he actually has to become. Exactly. And then as he becomes, he's ready for so, and then he still had to become another four years where he's right, mentored, where he's become, but he's not ready yet. And oh, he's, wow. But he is mentored. And so the reason why I'm bringing this up is because at the very beginning of James, James helps us understand, just like what Joseph Smith had to understand, the process that each one of us must go through to become a disciple of Christ. Wow. He says, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the 12 tribes which are scattered abroad, greeting. 
And I love that greeting right there at the beginning because he is saying that he is a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. (laughs) And for me to think of him as the brother of the Savior, half-brother of the Savior, for him to have that testimony right from the beginning, and that testimony is to all. It's to the scattered, those that are all scattered abroad. So it's to everyone. So this is truly, he starts saying to us, but it's, it's so, Latter-day Saints. It's so interesting that he says it's to the 12 tribes. Yeah, you know, I mean, he does. Speaking from that history of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, and Jacob is Israel and his 12 sons who were the fathers of the 12 tribes of Israel. And we know that the 10 tribes were scattered, you know, historically when Israel was dispersed mm-hmm. and then Benjamin and, and Judah remained in the lower kingdom. And and it it's very Jewish. Let mm-hmm. me just say, it's mm-hmm. very Jewish. James is very Jewish. And he is speaking, you know, he does... <laughs> to the 12 tribes. He is still there. You know, I mean, it was in the early church. Yes, it was going to everything. And yes, he he may not have seen that vision completely. Well, I do think that he may have understood. He may have. That the the tribes would return. Right. And so so since then, he's not writing for his day. He's writing for the future. I think so too. And that's where it's for the 12 tribes because Mm -hmm. it's based on what is going to come, and which is so cute that he's writing well, to Joseph. I know, that's my point. And when you read right there where it says, um, oh, in verse 4, right before that, let patience have her perfect work. And that's something that I know. may be perfect. I know, I love it. And entire wanting nothing. I mean, yes. it's that, I mean, these, these, which is are, the path. these just... are marquee couplets. Let's yes. face it. Let so patience good. have her perfect work. I, that ye may be perfect and entire, mm-hmm. wanting nothing, that we may be whole, and we will have to be patient to get to that place, <laughs> but yeah. we will want for nothing. And he is patient. I mean, yeah. But I do think the very beginning of, of this process that he goes through actually is also very Jewish when we talk about some of the experiences that your family has gone through. He says, my brethren, count it all joy when ye fall into diverse temptations knowing this, and then he goes through. So I think he also sees... faith worketh patience. Exactly. exactly. He sees the fact that the Christians are going to, and realize the Christians at this point are the Jews mostly, and that they are going to have a lot of persecution. And as we know, the Jewish persecution is going to follow them for for a long, long time. And, And let's go forward and say that ultimately... The Jews, the 12 tribes, and those who still identify as Jewish for many different reasons will face enormous persecution by people who claim to be Christians, right. which is very confusing piece in history. Right. That people who claim to follow these beautiful teachings had no problem throwing very good people into gas chambers. No, mm-hmm. I know. You know. Well, let's talk about this process that he talks about in terms of what patients does for us. Annette, I know you are a very patient person. <laughs> what are your thoughts on oh, patience? Is this my first? Um, well, it's interesting because I had um, I had begun focusing in my thing rather on mm. not being respecter of persons, but I love being asked about my thoughts on patience um, because, you know, I... I love being in this company where it is nothing to have a big family. You know, I had, right. it was not a normal thing in my family's history at that point. Right. You know, I, my parents were only children. They were also survivors. So we had no aunties and What's uncles that, around. Right. We had the antithesis of a big family. And at a certain point in my life, I had this personal revelation because it was, because um, I was still quite young. It was well before I'd become a, a person of faith in terms of, in a conscious way, Mm -hmm. that I wanted a big family. And it was before I even understood, later I sort of justified it because, you know, I went to a very liberal university and my, one of my roommates was a big zero population growth person. But I, big, that was her thing. I had already had this burning desire in my heart to have a big family. Wow. And so then I had to justify it and I justified it by the fact that 
so many of my relatives had been killed in the Holocaust and that I was going to recreate that family for my family. Uh -huh. That I would have children and I would have two because zero population growth says you should stop it, mm -hmm. two. I would have two and I counted my relatives and I thought I can have a lot of children. <laughs> to help. Each of them oh, who wow. did not have that opportunity because they oh, were wow. killed in the flames of the Holocaust. Wow. So that was my justification. Wow. And, um, and then there I was with this wonderful husband who also it had not been his idea. He grew up in Aspen, Colorado. He was mm -hmm. like, but he liked me. <laughs> and mm -hmm. and he was, I told him, I said, well, I just want you to know, you know, just just in, in the interest of, of not having anything pulled out later, that I, I really would like 22 children. Oh. And, and he looked at me and he's like, I remember, I remember where we were. 22. And I said, well, that's the number that I've sort of come up with. And he said, hmm. He said, you know, I'd always thought I'd have a family, but I never thought in big numbers oh. like that. And he said, but with you, I think it might be fun. You know? <laughs> <laughs> I love it. <laughs> so so I so had cute. the important element that I needed to go forward with this plan. And, um, and we began having children. And the first one was came in an astonishing way, and then the next one, and the next one, and next one. And each one, I was, was an, you know, I was thrilled. But by the time I had many, many children, you realize why people didn't actually <laughs> do this, you know. And I also realized they didn't have the skills that I felt, for example, that if I had come from a family of 12 children, I would have learned. I don't think it. I don't think it always uh, makes a difference, does Thanks it, Chris? That, that I don't. I don't know. You have to learn it yourself. That really, too. you have to. You know, because the whole patience. You know, patience. Yes. And so that's the thing is, if you have children that you know, there's some that are low maintenance and some that are extreme maintenance. And, and <laughs> you know what? Just saying that really makes me feel better as a person. I have to say because I used to think, why on earth did I major in intellectual history? You know, I needed home economics. You know, and, but. But I, w I, I then, of course, it's not enough that I had all these wonderful children, but I decided, oh, I had another personal revelation. It was, mm -hmm. I'm not sending them to school. I am going to teach them because I'm a teacher. I have the training and credentials. And, but I don't want to go away from my children. And I actually don't want them to go away from me. So I'm going to teach them myself. And that was when I started. It was very early 80s. It was a really almost unknown phenomena and people thought you were crazy you know they did I mean I they, they thought you were crazy well and I think of the amount of patience that you must have learned from having a big family but also from homeschooling all of them I mean and and when we talk about James we talk about diverse temptations. Mm -hmm. I think of the diverse temptations <laughs> that you went through lots of temptations first first and, to, and to I, lose that I, patience and right I, I I will say that the temptation that I felt that I did not withstand as much as I would have liked to is that I am a fiery person and, you know, I'd blow up about this and I'd blow up about that. It never meant anything. But I can say in retrospect how I, because when you ask me about patience, people used to look at me and say, you must have so much patience. And I'd think, oh, I wish I had patience. Mm. You know, it's not... I think I have developed patience over many years. I think I've developed a lot of patience. I did not begin with patience. It was not one of those natural, some of you have natural gifts, talking too much, one of my natural <laughs> gifts. Um, but you know what I'm saying? But, but that was not a natural gift. And it was one, though, that I came to deeply value. You know, I think you are such a righteous example of this whole process that James is talking about because he says, um, you know, when you fall into diverse temptations, which is kind of what you were describing, and then he says, knowing this, that the trying of your faith, and so your experience really truly was a trial of your faith, worketh patience. And so you learned patience through that trial of your faith. And then, and let patience have her perfect work that you may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. Okay, so doesn't that make you feel better? Because 
you've heard people say, pray for patience, the Lord will send you a trial right. to develop your patience. It's like a muscle. And so when you do get frustrated and angry, it's like, oh, I'm just like, patience is having its work. It just hasn't finished <laughs> yet. <laughs> We're still working on Yay. it. I, We're still working now's, on it. Now's my opportunity. Practice. 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 Exactly. I do, right. I do feel like I've acquired at least the ability to recognize those opportunities, that's you know, huge, right. and that's, it is huge, you know, oh. to be able to, instead of react to things, to be able to take a time to think about it and to measure what has brought us to this moment and how you might grow mm-hmm. from it, you know? Interesting. So I do want to point out that James starts with patience. I mean, right yeah, here at the right very beginning, at the beginning, but he ends with patience as well. Oh, at the very end in five? So at James chapter five, let's look at verse seven. He says, be patient, therefore, brethren and sisters, especially sisters, I think, (laughs) unto the coming of the Lord. So at the first, he's talking about this whole working patient, you know, as we have faith, especially in trials and tribulations, and oftentimes families are, then what we do is that works patience, but then he says, we must also have patience as we look forward to the coming of the Lord. For me, this has a very special thought for us today, because I think of how often we say, oh, I wish the Lord was coming today. You know, and he's saying, be patient. Behold, the husbandman waiteth for the precious fruit of the earth and hath long patience for it. So the Lord, too, is being patient as he's waiting for, you know, making sure all of us are ready, the working of patience and faith, until he receives the early and later rain. Be ye also patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord draweth nigh. So I love this idea of he starts with patience and he ends with patience. Which is very important because, of course, Every, many, many people believe that those who wrote these precious words that we read now believe the Savior would come before they died. Exactly. They did. They were writing. How, how amazing, the, how fired they must have been to write, to take the effort, to write, to gather as many as they could to be ready for this great coming. And, of course, now we speak well over 2,000 years later um, to the time that 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 Jesus was born, met well, um, and we are still being patient for that. But We're still if being they patient. hadn't thought that Christ was coming soon, they wouldn't have written as they did for us. I agree. And we are the ones that have their words. Yeah. So even though it was something that may not have happened. How grateful I am that they were preparing their hearts. And the reality is, whether he comes to the world as a whole or to us individually with our death, Christ is coming soon. And sooner for some of us than others. That's right. I did love when it talked about work patience and establish your heart Mm -hmm. and how patience and heart together. And I looked for what the footnote was on that one. And it was like that favorite scripture that says, when you've gotten into the path, is all this done? And I feel like when we figure things out, then we have to develop patience. And you were just saying how we shouldn't, it's dangerous to know, you know, but I think that knowing is a lack of patience, saying I could put it on the, but just being patient and letting patience have its work. But it was that you ha- still need to press forward with a steadfastness in Christ and a perfect brightness of hope and a love of God and of all men. And so that's establishing your heart, which is interesting because he that's he goes on to that. Yes, he does. He does. It's all about your. You've got your testimony. Now what do we? You've got to do it. You've got to right. get the patience. You've got to do it. The pieces that you you have experienced and you know from those those you have to hold right. on to. Right. Those pieces you and and so each and you know if you don't have that testimony, what I can only say is, if you with a sincere heart, nothing wavering, seek to know what God wants you to do. He will give you a piece. Hold on to it and move mm-hmm. forward and take that. Each piece of knowledge, don't let it go right. because it they don't come, you know, in packages dropped by the stork, you know, mm-hmm. and with a sign on it that says, this is the piece of knowledge. It comes 
to your mind, just like that little message from James came to Joseph Smith's mind. Right. And he pondered it and pondered it and pondered it, you know? And that, and it will put us on a path that doesn't lead to the golden pot at the end of the rainbow. Right there. It's not right there. Right. It leads to a path that requires patience. Right. So the next thing, going right along with that, once we get this revelation, is what are we going to do with it? You know, so, so faith, we talk a lot in the gospel, especially in these latter days, we talk a lot about how faith is a, an action verb, you know, that we have faith and that we act and we do. And that really a lot comes from James. So let's look specifically at James 1. I'm going to read verse 22. But be ye doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. And then he goes on, and I just love the symbolism that he constantly uses, because here he's talking about a man beholding his natural face in a glass, this idea of a mirror. And I, I love the symbol of a mirror, for he beholdeth himself and goeth his way and straightway forgetteth what manner of man he was. So how often do we look at a mirror? We've been told what we're supposed to do. And the Lord has given us a vision of who we really are. But do we leave that mirror and then go back to our worldly selves, forgetting that wonderful vision that the Lord has given as us in the child, mirror as with his, his child? Vision, with exactly. All, and how quickly, you know, like we that. forget, we forget yeah. that the picture in the mirror that the Lord has given to us. But then he goes on to, con- you know, continue this, this beautiful metaphor. And if we go turn to um, 2, I'm going to read 14 through 17. He says, what does it profit? And this is what I love because he's talking about, all right, so you have this vision the Lord has given you of what you are supposed to become. And then once you have this vision, you have to do the things that the Lord has asked you to do to become that person. That's right. It's and magic. and it's if we can't do, it's not, it's not easy, but that walk is what we need to do which worketh patience, which helps us become. But then he says, What doth it profit, my brethren, though a man say he hath faith and have not works? Can faith save him? If a brother or sister be naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you say unto them, Depart in peace, be ye warmed and filled, notwithstanding you give them not those things which are needful to the body, what doth it profit? Even so, faith, if it hath not works, is dead, being alone. I mean, this is beautiful Jewish wisdom. That's all I'm saying. Jews <laughs> all are about beautiful. helping people. Right, but it's beautiful wisdom for everybody. All of the experts say this book is very Jewish. Mm-hmm. Oh, and definitely. I think it's important for Christians to understand that. Yeah. And that this active Jewish people live by this. This is very important to them. I agree. That you don't just say, oh, be the clothes. And they give of their wealth enormously. I agree. They're much more wealth, generous, Jews are, than many people in the world, to give, to truly try to lift those who are in poverty and, and suffering out of poverty because this world is important to them. Well, and, and I will say amen to that statement in that, like I said, in my interfaith opportunities to, to serve and work, with many Jewish organizations, I am so impressed with especially their focus on refugees. You know, with this description of this person that's naked and destitute of daily food, that, you know, uh, especially the Jewish people understand we, what that felt like. And so because of that, they, they do have organizations that do reach out to help refugees and those that are naked and stripped of daily food, and also a place to live, which is so wonderful. And we can feel very grateful that the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints uses our resources to do, to do that all over the world. And I will also say that we have learned that you have to be careful. You know, sometimes one of my sons went to Honduras, I don't know if I mentioned this, that when he was quite young, to go and um, help in a little town, and he, he was digging um, water, Mm-hmm. Um, for a well, for, for people mm-hmm. needed a place in front of their homes to store water, and right. he was teaching in a school. And um, it was after the hurricane, after this huge hurricane that had happened there, and he was quite young, and it was a little scary for me. But mm-hmm. but he said, 
that he became friends with, of course, missionaries who were down there. And he said it was interesting because the church came in with a lot of help and a lot of food. and Sure. But they realized that it was they had to be careful because they were undermining some of the food chain. They're the people who made their money selling these small amounts and things like that. So, you know, it's interesting. Your question that we, we were just chatting before we got together about how we serve is an interesting one, you know, that, that we have to learn and, we and need listen. To be, and listen and be directed by the Lord. Yes. The other point that he makes, which I think is an interesting point in terms of this, he says, and this is found in um, James four seventeen. Therefore, to him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin. So he also teaches this idea of the sin of omission, where we've been told what we're supposed to do and we don't do it, then that is sin as well. And I really loved an interesting talk that Elder Cook gave where he told the story of of a teenage young man, a fine young man, His goals were to go on a mission, obtain an education, marry in the temple, and have a faithful, happy family. I felt he genuinely wanted to go on a mission and was avoiding serious transgressions that would prohibit a mission, but his day-to-day conduct was not preparing him for the physical, emotional, social, intellectual, and spiritual challenges he would face. He had not learned to work hard. He was not serious about school or seminary. He attended church but he had not read the Book of Mormon. He was spending a large amount of time on video games and social media. He seemed to think that showing up for his mission would be sufficient. My concern, and seemingly not only about, oh, I'm sorry, my concern is not only about the big tipping point decisions, but also the middle ground. And I love this concept of the middle ground. The workaday world and seemingly ordinary decisions where we spend most of our time. In these areas, we need to emphasize moderation, balance, especially wisdom. It is important to rise above rationalizations and make the best choices. And I love this kind of concept, which is going around with this whole thing that James trying to teach us, that we need to watch what we do every day. And that if the Lord has inspired us to do something, we might have that goal of eternal life and realize that that's the goal I want. But if we're not doing that everyday little things, then are we going to attain that goal? Are we going to be ready it's, for that goal? It's living consciously of every moment we've been given. Answer, asking ourselves, what are we doing? And are we making the best mo- choice in this moment? I... I started sort of feeling that interesting, really. Um, it must have been soon after I had um, joined the church. And I remember being in school and listening just, you know, to some rock music on what, when I was working or something. And I thought, is this really a good choice? I remember mm-hmm. thinking to myself, is this a good choice? Yeah, I like doing it, but is it a good choice? And as I thought, I thought, no, I don't think it's a good choice. You know, I don't think it's the right thing to having flow into my subconscious this particular messages with a tune I like because yeah, I like the tune and then you listen to the message and I'm like, hmm, you know? And that was a turning point for me where I, and, you know, I mean, it's in the rush of life, it's sometimes hard to evaluate each Those decision, work each a day. moment. Yeah. And yet, it is, I think, at the crux of using the time we have. I now. agree. Now, along with that, in terms of the best choices, We also have to be careful with our words. And that's another thing that he talks about. Matter of fact, I just wrote down all of the different, like I said, I love his imagery and the object lessons that he gives. But I wrote down seven that he uses for how we control our words. He talked about a bridle and a bit with a horse. He talks about the ships and the helm of a ship. He talks about fire and kindling, how kindling starts a fire. He talked about the taming of animals and then the poison that words can be. And then how a fountain can't have both sweet water and bitter water. It's going to have one or the other. And then he talks about fruit trees, how fruits only bear, you know, a fruit tree only bears one fruit, you know. And so all of these are 
are symbols that he uses to teach us principles about the power of our words. I know, Christine, you were going to help us understand right. this with James. Well, it is interesting because just like the bit with the horse, what we say, the words that come out of our mouth, are kind of drive everything else. And, um, and with the helm, and um, it, that little tongue can start huge forest it's, fires. And if you look, it says um, the word they had was matter, but it means a forest, mm-hmm. that it can start a huge forest fire. Yeah. So they're talking about all these things that, that we have the ability to do with what we say, mm-hmm. the power of what we say. Um, I, it is interesting to me because um, words are hard to control. And when he says that you can't have like blessings and cursings come from the same place or bitter and sweet fruit, I'm like, yes, you can. Because I say <laughs> wonderful things and then I say terrible things and I won't mean to. And then I'm like, I'm so sorry. I did not mean that to hurt, but it really did hurt. So um, I loved that um, in the Apocrypha, there's this line that says, the stroke of a whip marketh, uh, maketh marks in the flesh, but the stroke of the tongue breaketh bones. And so we have the ability to truly injure with our words. And we forget, because sometimes you'll be so in your head. You're like, did I actually say that? Because over and over again, one day I was driving, and I I didn't even realize something had come out of my mouth. And my son starts going on this rant. I'm like, how did you know I was thinking that? He's like, Mom, you've been talking the last two minutes. My kids tell me things like that. And you're just like, oh, but I've done that since I was young. It's not an old thing. But anyway, it's just funny because our words have such power and we have to realize their power to control them. And it's part of being a disciple of Christ. And I think that that's where the double-minded man, Mm -hmm. when our mind is different. So it's interesting because as I've been listening to us talk about, you know, kind of the word and faith with works and patience, um, I went and looked at like 15 different sites of how to stop cussing. So we oh. grew up in New York. And um, I do have to say, all my friends love to swear. And I loved clever swearing. I'm sorry I did. So it's just Thank funny. You. <laughs> sure I do not. That's not that my, I have some children. This is so wonderful. Thank so you. I, I, I don't normally, yep. but there's some days where, um, where like, the, my like, love of, of that, of cuss words, at, like, explodes. But um, but, I, but only I in a one. I say, I mean, I am your older sister, so I do have to feel like I need to say repent. I know. And Christine. No, but, but that's okay. But the way, the thing is, it's so. <laughs> Thank you for being no, here, Rihanna. No, it's Thank true. You for you being but you, my Christine. point is. Thank you for being here. No, it's never intentional. Here. It's never thoughtful. And that's the thing is that cuss words and even the things we say that don't pause between our brain and our mouth. They just are suddenly there, thrown out. Are, it's because of that limbic response, you know, where we, we, we've let go of our control. And that really does happen. And then what's in our head is out in the world. And that's our problem is being the tree, is changing our hearts so that those words change. So when I went to all those cussing things, because I'm like, that's the key to controlling your words. And he even says that right afterwards, is that um, that it's impossible for um, someone to control their tongue. You can't control your tongue by controlling your tongue. You control your tongue by controlling your heart. So I will say something. It's the funniest piece I ever got out of a work, <laughs> a book of, of about one of our prophets. And it's the, my big takeaway from President Spencer W. Kimball's biography. It's his biography, not one that was written about him. It's his own right, right. book. And he said, the most important thing I ever learned in my life was to take my tongue, put it in the back of my mouth, and bite down the <laughs> I love it. That, and then he talks about how he that. I love it. Situation. So you're pausing. That you literally bite your tongue. tongue. And it's true right. that you And when you're going your into a situation where you know it's going to be tough, just bite, having bite, bite, a bite, physical bite. Or, or wearing a mask. No, just yeah. <laughs> but, but some physical reminders. You can still talk. You know, but right? even <laughs> with that, I do think it was interesting because when all these sites I went to, one of the things they had in common was number one, change your friends if you have friends that swear a lot mm-hmm. so you're not getting that garbage in. Mm-hmm. And number two, watch your media 
Um, what you're consuming and listening to. Because if you're listening to those things, they're going to come out. Garbage in, garbage out. And so it's so interesting that you would talk about the way we use our time, but also what we're putting in. Is it positive or negative? Because it's not just curse words, Mm -hmm. but, but cursing people with anger. And I do have to say that, um, that sometimes we'll listen to people who will be frustrated about politics or frustrated about the environment or frustrated about anything. And we're bringing anger into our hearts. So that's where sometimes it's better for me to read information because I don't get the anger from it. Then when I listen, I'm putting anger in and anger will come out. That's interesting. And so I think we need to be careful and do I need to do a better job of filtering so that there isn't that angst. Instead of my heart is filled with peace mm-hmm. and then that that tongue will come out. So I do think it's it's fascinating that he does say that it's impossible to control the tongue. We have to control the heart and then it will be oh, yes. the fountain and, but, of but, peace. But if you haven't gotten there quite in that moment, just bite oh. down on the tongue. <laughs> it's a way to control I 100% physically. agree. And, 100% what a wonderful agree. lesson from a prophet to bite, to literally bite And sometimes your you need that physically. Well, and the, the last thing that was interesting is that in 2 Nephi 31, just before the part I was just reading, right. and the last yeah, words of Nephi, where he says um, that when uh, the Holy Ghost comes to us, then cometh baptism by fire and the Holy Ghost. And the gift of the Holy Ghost is, makes me cry, we can speak with the tongues of angels. <laughs> and so it's not our words, but the words of the Lord. Which is what we want. And that's what we want is to have the Spirit in our heart. Because if the Spirit's in your heart and you cuss, the Spirit runs away and you feel the echo. <laughs> so... <laughs> So we do need to just worry about our hearts. You know, I I do want to say he, you know, James himself teaches this exact same principle at the end of his discussion about the tongues. If we go to James 4, 7 and 8, he said, submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. And so the opposite so, you know, if that you submit so yourself to God, the then the devil Mariana. will flee well, and that then is so draw, draw nigh to God and he will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners, and purify your hearts, wow. ye double-minded. And so James says exactly, exactly the same, same thing. thing. As those that is so areas. interesting to me because I have experienced where I felt the spirit. I've read my scriptures that morning. And then a child to do something that you've told him a million times, and you're just like, really? And even just the really, not even terrible, but you know it's yeah. coming. Yes. And then you feel the spirit leave the house, and you're like, right. Right. but I, but thinking of making Satan flee, right? I haven't been looking for that because I'm, I'm trying to keep the spirit, you know, and that's been my goal. But that is so fun that you can make Satan flee by bringing in the spirit. Right. Wow. So. And, I mean, it, it's so good, and it's such a good reminder to, you know, if, if necessary, just bite your tongue. If necessary, leave the room. Open your scriptures. Don't just look at them. Read it. Right. And really get the message. And then think, and then go back to the Right, thing. but patience can work her work. So yeah. it's, we're agree. just the two on the path. We're getting right. there. We're doing weightlifting. Right. And yeah. some days we just max out, and That's it's not right. pretty. That's so. True. Well, Annette, I know you were going to talk a little bit about uh, some of the things that James has said as well, especially in terms of loving people regardless of their circumstance and also this idea of, you know, drawing nigh to God. These are such one. I, I mean, these are James is a treasury of, mm-hmm. of things for us to learn and to grow yes. from. And what a what a gift that Joseph Smith gave us by listening to that preacher who told him read that that little story i find very uplifting oh. because you know i mean i have had the opportunity in my life to have time to just study the scriptures now you know at various points just read them read them read mm-hmm. them but to know but there are times when we're lucky to get a verse in <laughs> and and it is wonderful to know that someone it wasn't that joseph smith and his great studying happened to you know hit mm-hmm. upon this and it suddenly was like oh it's that somebody said joseph 
read this if you're having problems. Just read it, you mm -hmm. know? And he was like, okay, I can do that. And he went home and he read that verse and opened up the whole dispensation of the restoration, mm -hmm. the restoration of the mm -hmm. gospel um, because of it. And we have, and gave us a special pointer. This book is important. What right. you said originally in our conversation to me, Marianne, is very interesting about James and the restoration. You Definitely. Know. Um, but I love this particular assignment, and we're reading in chapter 2 of James, chap verses 2 through 7. Um, now, I'm going to mention, because at the outset of this chapter, James says again, My brethren, have not the faith our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, with respect of persons. Mm -hmm. I'm going to pause for a moment because James uses the name of the Savior very infrequently in these chapters that he has shared, in these this book that he left for us in these five chapters. And um, that is a very Jewish custom. You do not say the name of God. He is more than we can mouth with our mouths. It is disrespectful even to use his name. And that is why in Hebrew it is an acrostic that nobody really knows how to pronounce that we say Yahweh, we say Jehovah. But I think it is valuable to understand that James respected that. Mm -hmm. And so it was not that he didn't have a deep and abiding. He led the church of Jesus Christ in the former days. Mm -hmm. He was the first. I mean, Peter was, we know the present, but he was the bishop of Jerusalem. Jerusalem. And so I think it's beautiful to note that, but that here he does mention the Savior again and tells us that we cannot have that faith if we treat people differently, which is what he means by respect of persons. For if there come unto your assembly a man with a gold ring and goodly apparel, and there come in also a poor man in vile raiment, and ye have respect to him that weareth the gay clothing, and say unto him, Sit thou here in a good place, and say to the poor, Stand thou over there, or sit here under my footstool. Are ye not then partial in yourselves, and are become judges of evil thoughts? Hearken, my beloved brethren, hath not God chosen the poor of this world, rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he hath promised to them that love him. And, I mean, he is talking about the Sermon on the Mount. And, the, you know, um, but ye have despised the poor. Do not rich men oppress you and draw you before the judgment seats? And yet, those are the ones for whom you pull out your best. Do not they blaspheme your that worthy name by the which ye are called? And seeing that he doesn't use the name, but he mm -hmm. says that worthy name by which ye are called. If ye fulfill the royal law, according to the scripture, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself, ye do well. Um, the royal law, which is interesting because it is, it is actually a law that is also in the, um, in the Old Testament. So, you know, we know right. that. As well, it's part of the, um, the Ten Commandments. Um, but to love but, your neighbor as yourself, it's the Leviticus um, version Leviticus, of the Ten Commandments. In, it, but it's yes, it's that, the part of the Ten Commandments. Um, and and so um, he says, "Thou shalt ye do well if you want to fulfill that. Mm -hmm. But if you have respect to persons while you're fulfilling that law, that you only do unto mm -hmm. those who you think are your kind of people, what you would like to have done unto you." If you are ignoring the poor, if you're ignoring people who are kind of not like you and maybe stand out, and that goes, it works all ways across from the from down up and up down, this concern where you're doing it to those who are like you, but you judge those who are different. And I'm going to say that it's respect of persons. There are those who are poor or liberal or this, that, who feel like anybody who's not is not to be trusted. And there are those who are rich and in high position who have the same behaviors. Mm -hmm. They have the same behaviors. They may not say the same things. They may say they want to do good for the poor. But if it was they're in a space together, there is respect of persons there. Mm 
as and well. it works both ways. It works both ways. Go ahead. I taught, um, you know, a, a group of um, art students, seminary, and they love to say they're the creatives and there's the technicals. And when someone would walk by and was a technical, it was like they were not cool. Like you had to be a creative. To be cool. And it was funny because when I started coming to them, they originally were like, oh, she's a technical. And, and even the state president said, this group of kids is so hard. And like by the second day, they're like, oh, you're a creative. We love you. And suddenly they were so easy to teach. And it was just a party every morning. It was joyful. But you they had to become their had person. Right. right. You had to become was, their was, kind of person. Yeah, it right. was a little click. And and that is so interesting because we do that. There's people like when you go to church, maybe not you, but maybe me, but um, where you're just like, oh, I love her. And I love her twist. And I just, there was a woman that I thought was a little bit scary. And I just found out that she did portraits of each of her grandchildren. And I was just like, with her favorite animal and it was just like she was showing me and I was like wait you're like one of those perfect people that I'm afraid of and now I like you so much and she said that's kind of offensive and I said yes because I need to that is just beautiful but we need to serve everybody that's and not be a respect everyone's heart and find joy and beauty yeah, in their it is hearts. not written just to the rich it is not written just to the accomplished. It is not written just to the top of the clique type. Or the bottom of the clique that has their own little group. Everyone. Right. And it is to search our hearts about it. Wow. Um, For if ye have respect to persons, ye commit sin and are convinced of the law as transgressors. And I I got to share this next part because it's so (laughs) important. For whosoever shall keep the whole law and yet offend in one point, he is guilty of all. That's a scary piece. That is so exhausting. But, <laughs> but it is. But it is what is meant. And it shouldn't. This is why our wonderful president says, make take time to repent every single day. Yeah. Because right. there is no one, no one on earth, even President Nelson, who knows that. And that's why he tells us that, who is able to be perfect in all things. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we need to learn that that is what repentance is for. For he that says, said, do not commit adultery, the Ten Commandment, also said, do not kill, Ten Commandment. Now, if thou commit no adultery, yet if thou kill, thou art become a transgressor of the law. He uses sort of an extreme example there. So speak ye and so do as they that shall be judged by the law of liberty. For he shall have... Now he says this, for he shall have judgment without mercy that hath showed no mercy, and mercy rejoiceth against judgment. He's telling us, we had better not judge others, because he who judges us will show no mercy to those who showed no mercy. I love it. And who show respect for persons in that well, and that goes right along with our last point, and that is idea, what is true Christianity and what is pure religion, which right. he also teaches oh, us about. And it's that pure religion and undefiled. Is not respecting per- persons, right? Not, I'm, no. It's just going right it's along to with to visit the said. widows and fatherless in their right. afflictions right. and to keep yourself unspotted from the world. And I love that one is proactive and one is, you know, that protective kind of omission and commission, external and internal. So we have to do both. But I loved what you said earlier about that idea of um, keeping us, like we have to be, have everything and understand everything or we're guilty. But then you said, but that's why we repent every day. And in DNC 5028, it says, no man is a possessor of all things or woman, that we can't do it all except we be purified and cleansed from all sin. Mm -hmm. So I think that as we repent and keep ourselves unspotted, this magical thing happens because we pray to the Lord. And what does he bring to our mind? Across the street, there's this woman you have to visit, Christine. And then you go. And that's where the Lord will always guide you. So last night was so cute because... um, you know, it's the end of the night, 
your husband's been gone all day. And this little, um, I shouldn't say little, he's he's a grown man, but grown this man. neighbor comes <laughs> over to play downstairs in their racquetball court. And I said, oh, do you do this often? He said, no, this is the first time. But he said, I'm so grateful that Steve asked me. And I thought, oh, I need to do that more where you just reach out, where you get nudged, because that's what the Lord will do is nudge us. But I don't know if you've ever tried this, but um, sometimes you try to serve and you'll say to people, is there anything you need or is there something I can do? And they're always like, no, no, I'm fine. Or you say, I'm waiting to get together sometime. And that never happens because I never call you and you're busy. And how do you serve? How do you figure out how to serve? How do you develop that? And I think the answer is in everything we've said. That it's through the Spirit. Because the Lord knows what they need. And just like that preacher who told Joseph, just like, you know, the moments, he gave him the right. And it's so funny because he never joined the church, but his sister joined the church and stayed faithful of that preacher. So it is interesting to me that when you look at the history of it, you're like, but maybe he was so inspired. He was the little moment, that preacher. And I've never thought that before, but I think that's the way. And it is cute because I told you months ago, there was a family and I knew I should invite them over for dinner, but um, I just knew my next life was busy. And one day they were sitting in front of me and their children were very active. And I just reached over and said, this week, what day is best for you to come over? So it wasn't a general, but we had the best time and the children played with the chickens and it turned out to be so fun. And it's the Lord that tells us how to serve. We listen to the Spirit, and that is true religion. Of course. That is true religion. (laughs) Well, thank you so much for this wonderful discussion we've had with the words of James. And especially, I hope all of us have had our testimony strengthened as we've also read these beautiful words. Thank you so much. Thank you. 